HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, made in harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com chef. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know every single one of them is listening to Tech Bytes, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is on TikTok and social media and the internet. We are talking with Etienne Bernath, who is chef, author, entertainer, entrepreneur, He also just turned 20. He has more than 6 million followers across all his social media platforms. He gets billions of likes, clicks, and views. And even with all that digital media power, he published a good old-fashioned paper cookbook. So we have lots and lots of things to talk to him about today. Thank you for joining us this morning. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I, I had to say that you're 20 up front on the top because you have been, even at this age, working as a chef and a creator and a cook and a teacher since you've been 11 years old, which was when the world first met you on Chopped. Yes. No, it is crazy considering I'm only 20. But yeah, no, I've been cooking now for a little over a decade and I've been now working in food media um, since I was 11. So also um, a little, just under a decade. So you started in TV, which is the good old-fashioned media, and then quickly progressed to digital. And you and I had a, a great conversation last week leading up to the show, and you started a social media and digital marketing company when you were in high school. Is that sort of like the new paper route or the new after-school job? Is that something that 
was really natural to you and instinctual because you are really the first digital generation where you're not learning it. It's just some simply a part of your world. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, um, you know, the digital landscape and uh, social media, broader speaking, is definitely something that's, you know, kind of second nature and really just intuitive, I guess, because I grew up with it. And so for me, it was definitely, I think, easier than if someone who hadn't grown up with it uh, to, to, you know, like adopt these all these platforms, be able to figure them out. And I, I definitely think that that really helped me out a lot. So it's interesting that you decided to use it to help other entities and other businesses and other people and other brands. I mean, I think the starting point with any um, self-promotion and building a platform is for ourselves. And because you were already cooking and were a personality and, and already had a public life, what made you decide to branch out to use your superpowers for other people? Yeah, so Atom Productions, as you mentioned, um, is the production company that I own and operate uh, that I started when I was in early high school. And, you know, initially I started out running social accounts for other clients before I then had to shift, or had to in a good way, uh, shift the focus of the company primarily to the Atom Bernath brand, just because, you know, my own brand was growing so quickly. But at its peak, I was running 12 social accounts. I was, you know, doing photo and video production for different clients. Uh, and, you know, I really love, of course, being in front of the camera. And that's my big passion. But I also really do love being behind the camera. And both of the parts are what I'm really passionate about and really enjoy doing. Do you find that you can do production things for your clients and people that you work with that maybe would be outside of your personal scope or sphere or brand or what people expect from you? Is it a way to sort of look at other facets of creativity that go beyond or different from the chef? Totally. Yeah. No, I think that one of the things I love about being behind the camera is, you know, obviously I have a brand and different types of angles that have content that I do. And obviously, you know, I branch out of that. I'm not like strict about it or anything crazy like that. But it's definitely fun to be behind the camera, you know, be able to use, because, you know, I think I think at the end of the day, it's it's a job that a lot of people think is just, oh, you just take videos and post them. You know, it's, it's very thought out. It's very analytical. You know, I analyze the data that these platforms give you about your content and then use that data to inform decisions for future content. And being able to do that with other people and kind of taking the, the information and strategies I've learned from my own platforms to, you know, do that with other people uh, is really enjoyable and really exciting because I think that it's one thing to do it for yourself, but I think to be able to do it for other people as well is really incredible. And something that you've been doing for other people is teaching them to cook on primarily TikTok and Instagram through videos. So, I mean, you started on TV. We've all watched TV. I think the TV cooking show is one of the early uh, Learn to Cooks. You know, certainly we have a show called Julia Child's Kitchen on Heritage Radio. You know, HBO just had a Julia Child show and, you know, watching her cook, you know, certainly informed and inspired so many people. But as you move through and you move into social media and video, you know, one of the... Um, articles that I read about you and the recent publication of your first cookbook, you know, talked about how you taught people to cook 
by video and many during the pandemic of people were, who were home looking for something to do, something to cook, needing to feed their family, having a completely um, different food life with restaurants for a good portion of time being closed and things like that. Do you think that um, the staying at home and sort of shifting of, of life back into the home space of the pandemic, did that sort of amplify what you do? Were you already there doing it anyway, and it was just a natural continuation? Has that period of time changed the parameters, the, the validity of being able to learn something really well in a virtual space? I mean, I think now we have a, a, a much greater belief in, in virtual experiences for work, for cooking, for entertainment, for connecting with people than we did prior to March of 2020. Did it just vet itself out as as it always has has something changed yeah 100 percent. i i had you know a very strange 2020 as many of us did it was a it was a year of you know big extremes uh you know the year started off uh on an extreme low i lost my grandfather to COVID in march of 2020 he was one of the first uh, people to pass from co or get COVID and pass from it here in the U.S. Oh, I'm so and sorry to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. And so it started off definitely in a low, but it was a weird dichotomy of, you know, I've been creating content for years and he was always my biggest cheerleader. And after my grandfather passed away, I actually started making videos again about four days later because my family and my grandma, uh, his wife, um, really encouraged me to keep making the videos. You know, I fell into a pretty deep depression after losing him and my family and grandma really pushed me to start making videos again, basically right away, because that was what made him so proud. You know, he loved watching my videos. You know, every time I'd call him, he'd say, is this the famous Chef Aton? And, <laughs> and, you know, it, it was a weird dichotomy of, you know, I was, I was making these videos. I, you know, I'd felt a new purpose, you know, continue to live on my grandpa's legacy and do things that would make him proud and happy. And at the exact same time, as I was dealing with all that, everyone was, was you know, at home. And food media really blew up. Everyone all of a sudden was, was interested in cooking because they had to be. And so food media across the board really blew up during the pandemic. And, you know, it's weird because I, I, I do credit much of my growth to the pandemic and the fact that there was this period of time when everyone all of a sudden was interested in cooking and cooking content. So it was definitely a strange year, a strange dichotomy of both, you know, the lowest low and the highest of highs, but uh, it was definitely a very transformative year. The thing that I have said uh, repeatedly on this show, and, and you talk about transformation and highs and lows and um, it, it being just really a watershed moment for you personally, the thing that's fascinating to me about 2020 and this period of time is that it was fairly transformational for everyone in the world at the same time in one way, shape or form. I mean, in, in times past, the, you know, the sorrow of your grandfather's passing would have been a very private moment in many ways that would not, you know, be felt by other people. But given the circumstance, it's something that shared and other people shared a similar moment and we all sort of had a reckoning at the same time, which is very powerful um, and quite unusual. I don't know that that's ever happened in the history of the civilized world in the past. 
It's interesting that cooking and you say that food media blew up and food media has been blowing up for a long, long time. But I think inherently it was a little bit different in 2020 because people were looking for entertainment. People were looking for distraction. But also food became, it's always been fundamental, but it came, it became really fundamental for like our health and our well-being and our family and our comfort and, and all kinds of things in a, in a way that it never has been in the past. Um, and your particular brand of cooking is, um, it's very, it's very effusive and joyful and, uh, engaging and fun. And, um, I mean, I, I don't wonder if, did you get a lot of commentary from people of they were just, uh, logging on to just sort of like watch your energy and, and your positivity and your enthusiasm as much as they were looking to like learn how to make chocolate chip cookies and garlic naan? Yeah, I mean, 100%. You know, I think one of the pieces of feedback I heard a lot uh, during the pandemic was like, oh, I love watching your videos. I don't cook, but I love watching them. Uh, <laughs> and I think, you know, kind of like you said, one of the things that was a big challenge in the pandemic was, you know, so many people were physically unable to see their family members, you know, whether um, you had lost your family members, certain family members like I did and my family did, or you were just separated by borders that were closed for months long. Uh, food is something that has always throughout history connected us and, you know, brought people together. And it was this time period where we weren't coming together, you know, whether it was with your community or religious center or any type of sense of family or community that typically comes together around food that wasn't happening. And, you know, whether it was someone who couldn't visit their family in their country of origin or someone who just literally couldn't like was stuck across the border from their home country or anything like that. You know, I think there was a great sense of food as a way of, you know, comfort of for so many people, they couldn't be with their family, but, you know, something that I truly believe and is I think true throughout all of, you know, human experience, but I think especially during COVID um, or the height of uh, the pandemic was that people, you know, cooked and used food as a way of connecting uh, with the people around them. Um, and I think that that is really, uh, really what brought people together. And I think what made people super connected was food. And I think that that's one of the reasons also it wasn't just that we literally had to cook food, but that for a lot of people, it was just their way of connecting. So for you as a person who is on the other side of the camera creating this content, you know, watching your videos, you come on and you say, hey, we're here, we're, we're going to make this live, I'm going to make it for you right now. You're by yourself in the videos, you're the only person that we see, we don't really know who's around you, or if you're home by yourself or in a kitchen alone. Um, if there are people around you, so it's really sort of a one on one experience between you and the viewer, you know, some sort of suspended reality, perhaps. How do you as looking into uh, a mobile phone or a computer camera, how do you connect out with people? It, it's sort of like the irony or the incongruity of social media in that you're essentially alone talking to somebody who perhaps is essentially alone as well. H how do you make that connection go through, you know, the Wi-Fi? 
Yeah, I think that the way I try to think of it is, you know, when I'm looking at the camera from my phone is that I'm on like FaceTime. I always try to imagine I'm on, you know, like a video call or Zoom or FaceTime or Skype with the viewer. And I really try to think of it, you know, I'm talking to the camera in the way that I would talk to my friends uh, and the way that I would talk to my my now millions of friends across the internet. <laughs> and I think that that for me is how at least I try to do it. And, you know, I just think about it like that. You know, obviously I'm not physically with the people watching my videos, but I really do try to think of it as if, you know, they are just on the other side of the phone, like a FaceTime call. And, you know, for me, you know, that means that I talk to them like a friend, you know, a, a lot of a lot of my videos, I really, you know, they're just friendly. It's just like trying to be like, all right, I'm having fun in the kitchen. I want you to have fun with me. And that really is my goal. And I think that that's kind of what I've tried to hone in on and just really make it at the end of the day, like I'm having fun with my friend watching. You do look like you're having fun. You are very high energy and almost talking very quickly, but still very articulate so we can understand what you're saying. But my question, my practical question to you is, how do you keep your eyes open the whole time and not blink? I feel like every time I take a photo <laughs> or I'm on a video call, I'm looking down, I'm blinking a lot, or I have like some weird side eye because of where the camera is. And I'm actually a little bit mesmerized watching your videos. I should probably be focusing on, you know, the amazing technique and, you know, the delicious results. But I'm like, he doesn't like he keeps his eyes open and in the right place the whole time. It really does look like he's talking to me. How does he do that? <laughs> that's so funny that yeah, I have heard the whole blinking thing before. Um, that's just attributed to the fact that like you know every video you see, um, even if it's like a thirty second video that took obviously way more than thirty seconds to film. So uh, you know there's a lot cut out. So like the parts that are put in is like me talking, adding in the ingredients. So I'm obviously going to try not to blink during that moment. So most of the plinks that are, I guess, just cut out. Um, that is funny to say that I have heard that before. Um, but I think in general, you know, I just, you know, I, it's, uh, it's both, I try to act, you know, while at the same time, I'm trying to act like, you know, the person on the other side of the phone is just like my, a good friend, a best friend. I'm also obviously performing and I, you know, obviously the, what, what is performing has changed. Uh, and you know, whether it's on a stage, on traditional television, or now on digital platforms, it's performing. And I, I really do try to put on a performance and, you know, entertain the viewer and get the person excited. So I think it's both kind of the perfect middle ground between a performance and also just this kind of genuine connection and excitement to, you know, share this moment with with the audience um, or with that person viewing. You know, as you said, like, you don't know if it's just me in the kitchen. Is it like a lazy Sunday and I'm just cooking? Um, that's the goal. Um, you know, there there is a, a large team of people behind the camera who help me um, produce the content I produce. But uh, at the end of the day, the goal is for the viewers to just, you know, feel like it's just me and them. And that's really what I try to do. Because, you know, obviously I'd love for it to be just me and them. Of course, you know, that's not possible. Uh, and it's me and them and a bunch of other people as well. But, you know, I really think the goal is to, you know, have that connection. And I always say, you know, if you don't see, if you don't, can't tell that there's a whole team behind it, um, then that's, that's the goal. Not in a deceiving way, obviously, whatsoever, but in a way of, you know, the goal is just for it to feel like it's the two of us and for you to really enjoy watching and, you know, really feel like we're having a, like kind of our own little moment together sort of seamless and effortless and spontaneous with with yes. a lot of planning. <laughs> yes. 
That is that is well said. It's interesting that you talk about being an entertainer and a performance and that it has evolved over time. And I note that, you know, as we said at the beginning of the show, you were on Chopped when you were 11. So you've been doing this for a decade and you have, you know, anyone who's done anything for 10 years, definitely, if they're doing it well, and you obviously are, learns, evolves, iterates, makes a better version, a better version. So I mean, where is the where is the intersection between the evolution of you and your on-air persona over the past 10 years just from simply spending a decade doing it? And also, there has to be a big difference between, you know, baby E10 at 11 years old and like the 20-year-old now who's the CEO of a company. Yes, you know, I think that, you know, one of the cool parts of this job or that like so much of my life or at this point, like half of my life has really been kind of, you know, documented on social media. And it is fun to, you know, sometimes just go back and look at, you know, what was 14 year old Aton cooking or doing. And I think that I, you know, I've just gotten more confident and more, you know, settled into what my brand is and who I am on camera. And I think what's an important distinction is, you know, while it is a performance, I really consider, you know, just like an an enhancement. You know, obviously I'm not playing a character, like the person on camera is me. Um, But, you know, it is always funny. A lot of times when I meet people in in person, one of their first reactions is, oh my God, you're so calm. And I'm I'm like, well, yeah, like, do you expect me to be like... Hello, nice to meet you. Today we're making this. Hello. Hello. And I was like, I was like, I'm like, I'm like, you know, like I, that's a performance. I can't talk like that 24 seven. But, you know, it is me. It's just, you know, kind of like a very energetic, fun version of me. Uh, But it is always funny meeting people that I'm like, I'm like, do you expect me to walk around all day? Like at level 4 billion of energy? (laughs) You feel like one of the actors who was um, on like one of the Disney kid shows when they were growing up or like a child actor who's now becoming an adult and look back and like, oh, look, he was on Chop Junior. And now he's going to be on, you know, adult cooking like Chop Senior. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. Do you do you feel at all like you are at work? I mean, you're making you make a distinction between it being both you as you are and the person and the things that you're truly interested in and a and a authentic articulation of your personality but you're also entertaining and it's also a job and you take these learnings and you make them work for other people is is it challenging to navigate sort of you are your job you are your life your life is your job yeah um you know i think that i always say like I, well i love my job um, a lot. And I do really truly believe that like, this is, you know, what I was meant to do. And this is what I always, what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, I always say to most people that, uh, I, I don't recommend this job. Uh, I think for the overall majority of people, you know, working in the public eye, um, sounds very glamorous, but I think that, you know, what it comes with, uh, and not that I'm complaining whatsoever. Like I, I love it for myself. Um, but you know, it, it is a 24 hour job, you know, whether it's just simply the literal work that it takes to put it all on, um, or just, you know, like the fact that, um, 
you know, you're always on, you know, even, and, it, and I'm obviously not saying it's any shape or form that's, that's complaining, but it's just part of the job, you know, whether it's like last night, I did an event for my book and, you know, I was super on and performing and, you know, meeting people and super high energy. And then um, after when I was super tired, um, I went to just a restaurant to pick up some pizza. And, you know, while I was there, a bunch of fans came up and the cashier was a fan and some people in the restaurant came up. And so I love that. And I love meeting the people that watch my videos, but um, I definitely always tell people we're looking to get into is just make sure that you know what you're signing up for. Cause you know, it is a job, you know, that, um, you know, I'm really fortunate to have, you know, so many people who love watching my videos and, but you know, I know every time I walk out of my apartment or go into a store somewhere, you know, there, there is that sense of, you know, you're being watched or someone comes up to you. Um, and for me that works and it's, it's just, you know, part of the job, but it's definitely, um, different and saying that, you know, takes some getting used to. It also means you're outputting energy all the time and you never have downtime yes. because you're almost at work all the time. And even if work yeah. is lovely, everybody needs downtime at some point. <laughs> yes. No, mental health is really important. I mean, every every Monday night, I have mental health Monday nights. I have my therapist right after work um, and then I work out and then I go out to dinner by myself so that I have like some nice time during the week just, you know, be alone and, you know, be, have time to think and take care of my mental health. So uh, even with all the craziness, I really, I always encourage everyone, it is just so important to take care of your mental health, just like you take care of your physical health. Um, it's so important to take care of your mental health. There sh shouldn't be any stigma around it. You know, if you broke your foot, you wouldn't be embarrassed. Um, there's nothing to be embarrassed at all about having a therapist and about, you know, taking care of mental health. If anything, I'm always concerned when people don't take care of their mental health. So I think that that's so important. Well, it is interesting that you say that. I mean, we all, especially in New York City, are so competitive about our physical fitness. Oh, I have a trainer. I'm up. I'm going to work out. I do this. I can bench, swim, press, box, like all that stuff. Um, but your body is powered by your braid. So, you know, <laughs> you'd think you'd want to no, yeah. input as much, uh, you know, personal training for your, you know, your brain and your emotions as you do for your body. Uh, Cause they kind of yeah, go no, together. Totally. Um, we are going to take a quick break to find out who is underwriting this show. When we come back, we are going to find out what Aiton's secrets are, his best advice for building a social media, digital, global, worldwide platform and then find out why, in spite of all that, a good old-fashioned paper cookbook is still the way to go. Stay with us. I'm Chaba Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 
818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. In the heart of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Lilia combines wood-fired seafood, handcrafted pasta, classic Italian cocktails, and warm hospitality. Since 2016, it's been celebrated as a neighborhood gathering place, bringing the best of Italy to New York City. Lilia is one of over 8,000 restaurants that leverage bento box to power their digital front door, including their website, gift cards, event management, and more. BentoBox is a marketing and commerce platform built specifically for the hospitality industry. With BentoBox, get discovered, make more money, and engage your diners so you can deliver great hospitality both in person and online. Visit getbento.com chef today to learn more and get your first month free. That's getbento.com chef. You are listening to Tech Bites, the show on the Heritage Radio Network where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is in the digital world. We are talking with Aitin Bernath, who is chef, author, entertainer, entrepreneur. Maybe you know him from TikTok. Maybe you're one of his 2.2 million followers. Maybe you first saw him on Chopped when he was 11 years old. He just turned 20. And in the past 10 years, he has been cooking online, cooking on TV, and creating a global digital media platform, not just for himself, but for other people. He's the CEO of Aiton Productions, and they also work with other companies. So this is the perfect opportunity, I think, for us to find out, what do you have to do to get 2 million followers on TikTok? What are the secrets to becoming a global sensation on social media. Yes, I am really grateful for this job, but I think that a interesting part of this job is I feel like, you know, it's slowly becoming more respected in the general population, but I think people still really just think it's like someone just randomly filming videos on their phone and like mindlessly filming and uploading and not really putting much thought into, you know, it's, it's a calculated uh, industry, you know. Well, I, uh, I think that's because people have phones, you know, people don't have a TV studio. So watching a TV show seems like something different, but I have a phone and I can go out and I can shoot a video or I can FaceTime somebody. I can start a TikTok account and do that also. So it's an interesting thing. I mean, similar to cooking, it's so democratically accessible to just about everybody, that their people are doing many of the same like physical activities that you're doing. They're just maybe not articulating it in the same way, and certainly people are not watching it in the same way. What do you think makes that difference? Yeah, I think you know one of the greatest parts of digital platforms and of social media has been the democratization of entertainment and of of, you know, what it is to be quote unquote celebrity or famous. And, you know, I think that one of the greatest parts of that is that it's opened up so many more voices. You know, 10 years ago, if you wanted to learn about food, there were there were a lot of people, most of the people in food media, you know, look very, look very similar, come from very similar backgrounds, very similar training. 
And there were all these many, 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 many incredible cuisines and cultures and, and foods and stories and perspectives that, you know, were just never, never put in the spotlight. And I think one of the greatest parts of social media is that it really democratizes that, you know, there's not some big executive choosing who will get to be viewed by millions of people. There's just algorithms that just, you know, see what people like. And if people are responding well to content, show it to more people. And I think that that's one of the really the greatest parts is that, you know, it, it is democratized and it is accessible, you know, from a physical standpoint, um, you know, almost anyone can film a cookie video on their phone. I um, mean, I think, you know, obviously what makes a difference is a lot of the analytical parts and the planning and obviously strategy there. But I think, you know, while for some people it's like, oh, well, that's not impressive. I could do it. I think, in reality, that's it's a good thing. You know, I think that it, it is so democratized. And I think that, you know, if you look at the range of voices now that are big in food media, um, it looks it looks quite different. And I think that's that's a really great thing. And I think it's obviously great for equity and, you know, people having equal opportunity. Uh, but I mean, also just for the end consumer. I mean, you you now as a consumer have just a vast, vast uh, array of 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 content and food knowledge you can learn because there's now just a wider array of, of voices out there. It's almost too much and it's almost hard to find things. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot that's out there. Um, you talk about it being your videos being like you just decided to film a cooking video, but they're not actually like that. So what, what would you say what is your what 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 are your top two or three tips for people? And I'm thinking of professionals. I'm also thinking of chefs and restaurants and um, people, other people who have businesses, small businesses. We did a bunch of episodes in 2020 and 2021 for the restaurant and hospitality industry on how to produce virtual events because people who are used to doing something brick and mortar in real life it was hard for them to translate into a virtual experience. And it was so important to be able to do that. And in spite of the fact that mm -hmm. we've passed the shelter in place stage of the pandemic, connecting virtually, working remotely, working virtually, videos, entertainment, meetings, seeing friends and family, the virtual component is definitely here to stay. So what are your top what are your top recommendations for people to make the best, make the best video that they can? Yeah, I think that, you know, as I said, you know, I think one of the greatest parts is the democratization of it, you know, whether you're a restaurant owner or a small business owner, you know, I think there was a big boom of, you know, business owners and restaurants and shops starting TikTok accounts and social media. You know, I think it's one of the easiest ways of marketing. It's nearly free. And that I think my main tips is just like to, to start, you know, I recommend anyone who ever starts in social media to do what I did when I started, which is go to your favorite people to watch on social media, scroll all the way down to watch their first three videos. Oh, that's and very I promise smart. You, very I smart. promise you, you will cringe. I think, you know, there's always a billion reasons to not start, you know, producing content on social media. Oh, it's going to be bad. The lighting is going to be bad. It's going to be shot badly. I'm going to look cringy. I'm going to do a bad job. And it's like, just start. Watch, start by just watching the people who you love and see how terrible their videos were. You know, some of my biggest idols and people I look up to, I've watched their first videos and I was like, wow, that is bad. 
But you know what? <laughs> they started, they learned, and got better. And I think that there's always a billion excuses. Oh, I don't have good enough equipment. I don't have good enough lighting. Use what you got. Get started. Every single video you make, you will learn more for future videos. And that is seriously the key. Um, and now, you know what I'm doing? I'm scrolling down on your TikTok page, trying to get to the bottom. <laughs> but it also yes. reminds me I should go back and maybe listen to episode one of Tech Bytes. This is episode 263. We went on the air in January of 2015. Heritage Radio Network has been on the air for more than a decade. Um, so I came in about halfway. It is kind of cringy, but you do learn. And you also do feel better that you made progress also, I think. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean... In the, no offense, but I'm sure your first episode was nothing like this episode. Oh, absolutely and I not. Think, you're you're 100% right. Maybe we'll go back and listen to it and it'll be like <laughs> super cringy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I really do think that, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you want to start um, a podcast or a radio show and you love this one and you're like, well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, listen to the first episode. I'm sure it will make you feel much better and then you'll see how far specifically you have come. And I think that, that's just, I think, one of my number one tips is because I think for so many people, there's always the, well, I want to, but move, put the butts away. <laughs> put the butts in pants and just get started. <laughs> there you go. Um, or you don't have to wear pants if it's just above, you know, because so many people are just, you know, business it's on true, top I and know. then they're not worried about the bottom. I know it's the notorious, you know, uh, when Zoom you're on a, call. a Zoom call exactly. and you have to get, you get up to get something like, oh, wait, I'm not wearing pants. Exactly. The times we <laughs> live in. So, you know, obviously, you know what you're doing in terms of social media and you have built a platform of six million followers across social media worldwide, which is amazing. But in spite of all that, you just published your first book, and I'm assuming it's your first book, just given yes. what you've done in the past. I'm assuming you will publish more books in the future. It's Etienne Eats the World. It's 85 Recipes. It is out now. Um, you can find it at booksellers all over and online. If you want to sort of look at more details, you can check out his website, etienneburnath.com. Of course, follow him on social media. That goes without saying. Why did you decide to do a book? And it's, you know, I would think maybe a digital book, an ebook, a Kindle book, I could see that. That fits in the digital platform. But you have an actual paper book. Yes. I I think that, you know, for me, I've always loved cookbooks. I've always collected cookbooks as a little kid. The number one gift I got for every occasion was a cookbook because I love cookbooks collect cookbooks. And, you know, for me, it's always one of my big goals. Cause I think, you know, I think what comes with a cookbook that doesn't necessarily come with, you know, stuff you get online on digital. And I think it's getting better on digital, but there's a sense of authority with the book. You know, anyone can publish a recipe online. When someone publishes a recipe online, you know, there's a little bit less like stress of if something goes wrong. It's like, oh, you know, if, obviously you want the recipe to be good, but it's like, okay, you know, if, something goes wrong, you always know that you can go in and change it. But with the book, you can't. Uh, you know, once the book goes to print, that's it. If there's a mistake, it's in the book. And so because of that, you know, books are much more rigorously tested. So, you know, every recipe in a Tennings to the World, I cooked myself, I would say, at least four times in the development process. And then once I was happy with it, it was then sent to four separate outside testers. So every single recipe in the book was tested by four people in their own kitchens and I had a very whole kind of great complex system to, you know, track everyone's feedback, see how the recipes came out. And it was 
wildly informative because you know when you write a recipe you're essentially you know giving someone an instruction manual and so the testing process is a really great process to you know see how your instruction manual is you know there were some recipes where like i, I think something i learned is like you know a lot of times when you write recipes you make assumptions you know you'll tell someone to do something you assume they know the way that you mean to do it and so it was really incredible you know whether it's that or seeing okay does the recipe work on a gas stove an electric stove and an, an induction stovetop uh, it was just so interesting and informative. And, you know, I think with the cookbook, it, you know, these recipes are really going to work in a way that you just don't necessarily know as much with the recipe you get online. I think there's also something about physically holding a cookbook and oh, having 100%. it on the counter with you in the kitchen. You bookmark it. You can throw in a post-it or make a note. You can go back to it exactly as it was. Um there's, there's even in this digital age, and, and there are things that I prefer digitally, you know, space and, you know, things like that. I, I have not been able to really transition comfortably to reading in a digital format. I still really prefer paper. And even though I have a bunch of recipes online um, in my computer as documents, as videos and things like that, I find it just so much easier to cook with paper and cook with a book. Um, it's ultimately... We talk a lot about technology on this show, obviously, Tech Bytes. We talk a lot about digital technology and algorithms and all sorts of things and, you know, uh, farm tech and all the AI. But ultimately, all of the technology is leading us to an in-person, real-life, analog, tactile food experience. And there's almost something about a physical cookbook, I think, that that is along the way to that, where, you know, ultimately you want people to make an actual food thing in their home or their kitchen that they're going to actually eat with their hands and mouths, <laughs> that it makes sense that the the way to that is a, a physical cookbook. Yeah, I, I think that I, I, I'm a big reader. I, um, I recently got back into reading I read about like a book a week and I love you know I love I'm a very like not a paper person like I like I, I don't like writing I like type I type everything I don't like having using paper for things like I'm very very much like a tech person um, however I just can't read books on a screen I just there's something about holding a physical book um, that I love and I think like you said in the, in the kitchen you know there's just something about a cookbook that you know you love and that you use you know maybe it has little oil stains on some of the pages some of the little the little edges of pages are folded from just getting hit against things. There's some bits of salt in between some of the pages. I think that that, that, that really just, you know, is saying that I don't think digital will ever really replace. The other thing that digital won't replace is the technology. You know, one of my favorite things is going to um, use bookstores or thrift shops and looking at cookbooks and, and buying, you know, old editions or first editions of, you know, books. One of my favorite books that I have is The Joy of Cooking from the 50s. Um, and they're, they're time capsules, they're moments in time. It's recipes and cooking. A lot of the recipes are still spectacular. And I don't need technology to use it. One of my favorite um, articles years ago uh, in the New York Times Magazine was about the office at the Smithsonian that preserved the technology to be able to access different historical and presidential records. So you have you oh, know, yeah. a president who spoke and it was on some, you know, tin type recording and they only have two machines left that will play the recording and they have to preserve the recording and the technology and all that. And they go hand in hand. 
you know, books, books don't require technology, which makes them also, you know, great time capsules and keepers. And they're also just something more real about it. I know it's exciting to look at your TikTok page and I see 2.2 million, 2.2 million followers. And there's, that's amazing. But at the same time, there's something very ethereal about that. Um, but I'm sure if you got a couple cases of books that you had to sign for an event, um, that's really real. Yeah, it, it was fascinating, you know, getting the first book in the mail. It's like a very, very physical thing. You know, everything I do is is very like, you know, it's not very, it's, it's digital. You can't touch it. Uh, and so with the book, it was really, really like rewarding and just like fascinating and just like a whole different experience felt like have worked on something and then literally hold it in your hands. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan of paper books. I maxed out on space in my apartment for books. I have a storage space that has cases and cases of books in it. I also am aware of, you know, the environmental piece of, you know, printing books on paper and, and that whole process. So a few years ago, I decided that my, um, my middle ground was going to be that I would take out paper books from the library. I'm a huge fan of the New York public library system. And mm. so I take books out from the library. I read them if I really, really like it and really have to have it at home with me, I'll buy my own copy. Otherwise I, I'm at the library, you know, once a week taking out books, all kinds of books I put, you know, I have a, a hold list of things that I want and the money that I would have spent buying new books, I make as a donation to the library every year because I think the libraries are great and I want more people to read paper books. So that's my that's my New York City um, that's my New York City solution to continuing oh, to read paper. Um, we are out of time, as I knew we would be, and I, I I do feel like there are still so many things that we can talk about. I mean, I didn't even really get to ask you about the algorithm which is so fascinating, you know, that a mathematical equation can rule so much of our lives today. Um, do, do you have any quick, do you have a quick soundbite for us about the algorithms on social media, how you have yeah. learned to like tame them and wrangle them? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the algorithm is saying that is, you know, talked about a lot about it's saying that's kind of like, dun, 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 the algorithm. Uh, and I think that, at the end of the day, obviously, you know, they're complex and there's all these things that we don't know. But at the end of the day, at the core, what these algorithms do is they 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 push out content to different users, see how those users choose to interact with the content, and then based on those interactions, distribute it or not distribute it to more people. And so at the end of the day, it's always easy as a content creator to be like, oh, the algorithm, oh, my content's not performing well because the algorithm, the algorithm this, algorithm that. Uh, but at the end of the day, Obviously, there's intricacies, and it's not always as cut and dry as this. But at the end of the day, the main goal of these algorithms is to serve content to people that want to watch it. And so based on how people direct their content is how it'll do. So if you post a video and it doesn't do well, what does that mean? That means that the first subset of people that your video was shown to didn't watch it for that long, didn't interact with it. And so those are just data points that are being fed to algorithm. The algorithm say, okay you know what, the first thousand people we show this to didn't really seem interested. We're not going to show it to that many more people because we don't know that they'll be interested. On the flip side, if it shows it to the first thousand people and the first thousand people watch like half the video, comment, like, share it with a friend, they're going to be like, oh, wow, 
okay, people like this. Let's show it with more people. I think at the end of the day, that is in its most basic form, that is what the algorithms do. And I think that, you know, just understanding that uh, is definitely very important because it can be frustrating when videos don't do well. But I think that, you know, just knowing that that's at its core, what it's doing is helpful. Okay. Well, that makes it a little more straightforward, I think. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. It, you, that's, you're very right, though, that if people are in social media or trying to work with their followers and engagement, it is very much the algorithm. And I like that. Um, I like that old school movie, dun, 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 that you added to it. It was perfect. (laughs) Um, I would be very curious to have the meeting and the conversation with Aiton, the CEO of the production company on the flip side of, you know, you doing business for somebody else's business. That would be a great, maybe follow up to this episode, maybe later at a different time. Thank you so, so much for having me. So much fun chatting and just, you know, talking all things food and technology. So for those of you listening, if you want to find him online, aitanbernath.com is where you have all of the information. You can find him on social media at Aitan. That's E-I-T-A-N across all social media. If you want to have a in-real-life experience, go out, buy his book, A10 Eats the World, 85 Recipes. They look great. He's also doing book events, book signing, like actually in real life, even better. Um, And I'm sure this is just the first of many. Um, If you enjoyed this show, hey, help us out with our algorithm. Go to your favorite podcasting platform, subscribe, like, give us a four-star, five-star spectacular review. If you really, really want to make sure stories like this stay on the air and are archived for future listeners, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and make a donation. Maybe what you spent on coffee today. It'll help us keep the lights on, the mic's hot. We'll be able to make more radio and bring you more fascinating stories like this one. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>